0: i um, so glad that you all are here today, and um, I was just thinking last night with the rain coming down, I was like, oh man, this is nice to have the rain, and um, then I stepped out of the car, and I'm like, oh my word, yes, that's right, humidity, good to see you again. All right, so last week I started this new series called Living Out Loud, um, and we're working through this Old Testament letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and um, we're going to be spending the entire summer in, in the book uh, called Ephesians uh, in the New Testament. And so for those of you who are Bible scholars, you are going to totally dig this because uh, we're going to try to, to um, work our way through some things in detail a little bit more. And uh, in the process, we're going to learn how we might be able to follow Jesus better in real time and in real life. And here, here's the thing, and I mentioned this before, I know that very often when we're um, looking to the New Testament and trying to figure out, okay, now what's some practical advice on how to live like a Christian? We almost always go to the book of James, which is, which is a great book for that. Uh, James is very direct <laughs> a lot of the times uh, in, in what he writes. But if you work your way through Ephesians, as we're going to be doing here, um, you're going to see that there's a lot of very pragmatic things that Paul offers in this book rather than in some of the other letters that he wrote. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to this, uh, even just in kind of the initial study I've learned quite a bit. Um, because we last started last week with a little bit of history about the city of Ephesus. And by the way, uh, as far as I know, that's online now, and I would highly Recommend that you um, watch that if you if you didn't if you weren't here last week because it'll give you some context for what we're talking about. So Ephesus is this jewel of the Roman Empire or one of the jewels of the Roman Empire, and you can kind of see where it's located there on the western part of what was uh, then called Asia. Now we call it uh, the country of Turkey. <coughs> Excuse me. And th- what's so astonishing about it is that it was an incredibly influential church uh, that developed in that, in that city over a long period of time. And it's kind of like the who's who of early Christianity. Act- they all spent time there at, at some point. Um, some of the more influential people in the early church. And so what, what I want to do today is I want to step into the text and start peeling our way through this and, and going going through this, Uh, not necessarily verse by verse, but uh, we're going to go through it kind of section by section and see what we can finally learn. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today, almost exclusively. Uh, No, exclusively, not almost. And so here it is. If you don't have it, that's fine. So here's the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this uh, first two lines, there's a couple of things that are important to us in our study. First of all, Paul identifies himself. Um, This speaks to his authorship, which is why it's included in the New Testament. And he also calls himself an apostle. Now, interestingly enough, in other letters, he calls himself a servant but here he calls himself an apostle, and I think this is interesting, because the term in Greek for, for servant is doulos, and it literally means slave. But we Americans, we don't like that word. You know, I don't want to be a slave to, to anybody, and I understand that, but Paul actually saw himself as a slave to Christ, a bondservant. Uh, we tend to translate that word as servant, but it, it was more or less for slave, but here, he, he does something that he doesn't normally do. He calls himself an apostle. And um, we talk about the, the 12 apostles, the 12 original disciples of Jesus. But an apostle, if you, if you don't know, the actual term means a designated messenger. It's somebody who has some authority because someone in authority gave them a message to give to someone else. Does that make sense? So an apostle is a, uh, what, what I like to call is a designated messenger. They're kind of official, but you also have to understand it includes a certain element of um, authority, that this person is speaking on the behalf of someone else, okay? Uh, we have a, the term or the, the mechanism today called power of attorney. So think of it kind of like that, only as a spiritual sort of, sort of messenger, and then notice also, he, um, not only does he identify himself in, in his role, but he, but he also says, to God's holy people in Ephesus. Now what's so fascinating is that we have a number of manuscripts um, left over that have been preserved for us over the years, and some of the ancient manuscripts do not have that phrase, to, uh, to God's holy people in Ephesus. That idea of in Ephesus, uh, I just forgot that I've got to make sure that I do this. Um, that phrase does not exist in some of the manuscripts, which is not uncommon because some of these letters were actually passed around to other churches within the region. And so, you know, did actually, Paul actually write in Ephesus or it didn't? It doesn't really matter. It was all in the same region, okay? But what that does is that it just uh, underscores the fact that a lot of people read this, this stuff early on. Because it was just that good. It was that important to them. So keep that one in mind. Um, So all throughout Western Asia, uh, this letter probably circulated. So then notice in in verse 2, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Now, if you go through all of what we call the Pauline epistles, all of the letters that Paul wrote, you will find this phrase somewhere within the first seven, seven or eight verses. Every single one of them. It doesn't matter that he's writing to an individual or if he's writing to a particular church. It says, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Right? Every single one. So, it's a greeting. Great. Moving on. Um, Hold on a second. Maybe not. Maybe there's something else that's going on here. And that's where I want to camp out today is on this idea of grace and peace. There might be more than meets the eye. Because the question is, why grace? Why this word grace? Because in standard Greek letter writing um, protocol, kind of what what we find everywhere else, you would start a Greek letter with the word greetings. Just like we do dear so-and-so, right? In a Greek letter, you would write greetings. You would start there. Paul doesn't do that. Paul starts with himself, and, and that was common, but then he says grace and peace, not greetings, grace and peace. This is interesting because this is a deviation because virtually everything else that he writes follows kind of that standard format. What we see in other pieces of literature throughout the ancient, um, ancient Mediterranean world and Greco-Roman world, what we see there, Paul follows that format. And why not? He's a highly educated guy. He's speaking to a very Greek audience. They would understand this when he's sending letters to them. Are you with me on this? So he follows it except for this. Now, this is where it gets kind of fun. So, <clears throat> greetings. In Greek, that word is Cairo. Not like in Egypt, it's spelled differently, okay? Cairo is the word. I'm getting a weird echo up here, Dan. So we have this, this term Cairo, which simply means greetings. But what's so fascinating is Paul makes a little change. Instead, he uses the word charis, which means grace. There's wordplay here. He's taking the word. Can you hear the, you can hear it, right? Cairo to, to charis. He just makes this slight little change, and it's just enough that if you were an ancient Greek reader, you'd be like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. It's enough to grab the attention. And so he starts not with greetings, but he starts with grace. Isn't that fascinating? Just does this little wordplay, And remember, Paul's kind of a smart guy, so this kind of, you know, maybe it's his sense of humor. <laughs> I'm not necessarily sure. But it's, it's so close that it kind of captures the attention. Now, what's, what's fascinating to me is that Cairo is the root to Kairos. So the two words are related, okay? And, and the word Cairo here um, means to rejoice. When we say greetings, it's like rejoice or be well. If you're uh, from Germany and somebody sneezes, you say Gesundheit, good health to you, right? And so in a greeting form, when you say hello to someone, you wish them well, you know? Good day to you used to be the, the standard phrase. Now we just say, hey, right? <laughs> but the point is, is that in, in the original kind of thought here is this idea of rejoice, be well, maybe even thrive? I don't know. But the idea here is that you're wishing them well with this greeting. And so charis, this word grace, means that which brings joy Goodwill and favor. See, that, see how they're connected? So it's not just I'm wishing you well, but I'm wishing you that thing that brings you joy, that brings you goodwill and brings you favor. Now, sometimes I think in church, um, we tend to over theologize. And uh, because we have some seminarians on staff, sometimes we digress to certain theological conversations, and um, some of our other staff members, their eyes roll in the back of their heads, and they just <sighs> let off a little steam, and they're like, "You're doing it again." And I'm like, "Oh, we're sorry." But I think sometimes in the church, we over-theologize things, which is really something we need to pay attention to, because what happens is when you make things too theological, for the average person, it becomes meaningless. It might be meaningful for the people who are having the discussion, but for somebody who is just entering the community, for someone who is just trying to get to know this stuff for the first time, it's kind of like this put-off. And we have to be careful about that. And I think very often this word grace becomes one of those words, because whenever you talk about grace, for those of us who grew up in the church, it's the free gift of God, not merited by works uh, that we may or may not do, but rather it's something that he just freely offers to us for the salvation of our souls. Right? I mean, we've heard this, especially if you grew up in the church, you've heard this idea of grace. Well, that's true, but I think what we need to do is pause and take a step back and look at it. its most basic understanding. Grace is a blessing. Grace is a blessing. When we offer someone grace, and we say grace to you, right, when we say those words, what we're actually actually doing is blessing them. We are asking for God's favor on them. We're actually asking God to gift them with the thing that brings joy, favor, and goodwill. We're asking for God's favor. Does this make sense? It's not just about the salvation of of soul. That could be the result, but that's not necessarily the original blessing to them. The gift here is God's love. The result may be the salvation of the soul, but the gift that he's given is the fact that God loves you. You see that? It's It's an important thing, I think, for us to remember is to say, wait a second, wait a second, let's not confuse the result with the actual gift. The gift is God's love. And so when we ask for God's favor on them, we ask that he give them joy and well-being and favor in the the, uh, context of their own lives. That's what we're actually doing. And the other thing that we have to do whenever we see these words, grace and peace, and we have to keep in mind that Paul is very Jewish. In fact, in another letter that he wrote, he says that he is a Hebrew among Hebrews. And so, think about it this way. Paul is educated as a Hebrew scholar, meaning he understands the entire Jewish religion. He has studied with the finest teachers of his day. So, he got his bachelor's degree, his master's degree, and his doctorate all at the temple in Jerusalem. So, it's kind of like Harvard. Imagine getting all your education at that one particular institution. That's Paul. He is at that level, he is that kind of a caliber of a scholar. Hebrew among Hebrews, he is Jewish through and through. And that temple is the epicenter for Judaism. There is no other place that he can get a better education about what it means to be a Jew, and that's where he went. So he is fluent in Greek, yes, but still he is Jewish. And he always has Jewish undertones in his writing. And there's layered meaning. And you have to keep that in mind every time that you read Paul. He is writing to a Gentile, a non-Jewish audience for the most part, and yet he's still Jewish. You know, sometimes you can, you can take the Jew out of Jerusalem, but you can't take Jerusalem out of the Jew. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean that, you know, quite... Uh, quite positively in this case. And so, the Hebrew word here for grace is hen. if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Hebrew word for grace. And the idea that's carried with this Hebrew word for grace is a person stooping down with kindness. I want you to think about that. Stooping down with kindness. Maybe he is, or she is, in this case, giving something that that person needs as they stoop down, or maybe they're helping someone up. But that's the the idea that's carried in this word. And we talk about this idea of grace, and we do it theoretically, but the ancient Hebrew is very concrete, stooping down. And you can imagine this. Think about with your own children when they were little. (laughs) They're doing this, and you pick them up, right? You can't help it, because it's so cute. (laughs) You pick them up, even though they're seven years old and getting heavier. I know this by experience. This idea is stooping down with kindness. Again, we have to remember that grace itself is a gift, and it's grounded in God's love and his happiness in bending down toward us and his creation. Salvation is just the result. The gift is the fact that God loves us, that he hasn't gone anywhere, that he still loves us. He will continue to love us, and he will love us over and over and over again, even when you blow it, and we will because we're human beings. We know that he's still stooping down. That's grace. That's the actual gift. It is a hopeful picture. God is willing and able to stoop down to bend over and help you wherever you are. How many of you think that's good news? That's really good news, I think. This idea of grace is not some theoretical thing that happens you know, for the eternal salvation of our souls. Yes, that's a result. I'm very glad for that. But at the very beginning, and this is the thing, most people that you come in contact with are not so interested in their eternal salvation. They're interested in getting up on Monday morning. You hear me? And they need that kind of real picture of a God who loves them in that spot, and then they can understand that there's eternal ramifications to it. But it starts with a very concrete, how am I going to put my feet on the floor Monday morning? That's the kind of God that I need. I need that one who will love me in those moments, day to day, step by step. Now, being Hebrew, God um, Paul actually offers another word. He says grace and peace, right? Now, normally speaking, when a um, Jew encounters you, the greeting they will give you is, do you know the word? Shalom, which we translate as peace, right? But we have to understand there's some nuances here. This is really important. The word that he uses in Greek is erene, and erene is directly translated into Hebrew as, as shalom. Those two things are equal. Shalom, however, we translate it as peace. We have to keep in mind that we're not talking about um, kind of this inner tranquility, this sort of um, kind of moment. That's not Shalom. Now, it may include that kind of inner tranquility, but it's really not that. The word is highly relational. And shalom means that we have peace with one another and peace with God. Like I said, it's a relational term. And so what really happens is, is that shalom is when everything is in balance and in, is in equilibrium. You are living up to your end of the relationship. I'm living up to my end of the relationship, and therefore we have balance. That's Shalom, this beautiful picture of balance. So maybe we could even say harmony would be a word, that we're in relationship with one another. We are equal partners in that sense where we are relating to one another and we're doing it effectively and well. So think in terms whenever you see shalom, not just an inner peace, but equilibrium, harmony, when everyone is living up to their part. It's a very, very relational term. (coughs) Excuse me. So when Paul greets with these two words, grace and peace, you need to understand he is blessing the reader. He's blessing that reader. By the way, that reader is you and me. He's blessing us with favor and harmony. May you find favor with God, God's favor. May that love pass on to you so that you have his favor, and may you have harmony with him and the people around you. May you have some hope. May you have some healing. May you have some reconciliation. Maybe, maybe you, you need some restoration. Maybe it is that you need clarity, but those are the things that Paul is blessing us with by saying grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's seeing all of these things that are wrapped up. It isn't, isn't that something that you really want? I mean, think about this. When you get up in the morning and you go on to your job or whatever it is that you do during the day, isn't it really the kinds of things that you want to some grace and some peace, some favor and some harmony with the people around you? And you're thinking, yeah, it's the guy in the cubicle next to me. I could really use some harmony with them, right? Or if you're in a classroom and, you know, I'm like, I wish I had some harmony with those kids or whatever it happens to be. You know what your life is, but that's really what he's saying. He's blessing us with that idea favor and harmony. And this is why we conclude every single service here at Thrive Church with this blessing of grace and peace. Because we want you to have favor and we want you to have harmony. We believe that's what God wants for us and we believe that he wants it for all of you. Because it's very easy for me to just say us, but we want that for you to have favor and harmony with God. So maybe you had a rough week. Grace and peace to you for next week. Maybe you got a health issue. Grace and peace. Maybe there's some uncertainty in your life. Grace and peace to you. Maybe there's a relational conflict with somebody at work or somebody in your family or someone in your neighborhood. Grace and peace to you. Maybe you've got some inner turmoil. Maybe there's just something that you are wrestling with deep down inside and it's painful or it's something that you are dragging along with you or some baggage you're carrying. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. May you find favor and harmony with God and with other people. And so, my prayer for you is that this week you would experience grace and peace dramatically in some place in your own life. And may you pass along grace and peace to somebody else who needs it. This a beautiful picture. Of of a joyful God bending toward you to meet you where you are and help you with whatever your need is. And so I want you to keep that picture in your mind as we worship some more. That there is this God, and yes, that God um, is other and greater, incomprehensible, but with all due respect to Bette Midler, He is not watching from a distance. He stoops down with grace and mercy and hope and love. And as we worship, I want you to remember those things.